Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. Hello, and welcome to Way Back When with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Big Blend Radio's Way Back When History Show with Nancy and Lisa. You know, we're the mother-daughter travel team on the Love Your Parks Tour, and we're publishers of various digital Big Blend magazines, including we've got a brand new one, Way Back When History, is coming out soon. So keep up with us at bigblendmagazines.com for that and sign up for our new center. But today we're excited to welcome author and attorney Charles Oldham. He is based out of Charlotte, North Carolina, and we love North Carolina. We've traveled Mm -hmm. all around the state, down the coastline, through the countryside. We've you know, stayed on farms, we've stayed in bed and breakfast, we've just had a, it's, it's an amazing, beautiful state, but it has quite a um, diverse history, and some of it is a little turbulent, and uh, so we're really glad to have him on the show today to talk about his latest book, and it is called Ship of Blood, uh, but he's also the author of the award-winning book, The Senator's Son. And you can get both books if you go to beachglassbooks.com. Uh, you can go to beachglassbooks.com forward slash books forward slash ship of blood. Uh, but welcome to the show, Charles. How are you? I'm doing fine. And thank you so much for having me. We're, we're loving yes. this because I think mm, what you're doing so well, number one, book. You're, yeah, you're a fantastic author. Mm. And you're you're telling, this is a true true story right and yet it reads like a in like a novel like you know what I mean and I think that's a really important thing for those of us who aren't you know kind of the nuts and bolts people with every little fact and you know you get uh, the story over really well uh, what led you to start writing well I am uh, like you mentioned I am a I'm an attorney by trade and when I was still when I was still practicing, uh, most of my practice was focused on criminal defense work and some mm. civil litigation too. But criminal defense was what I what I liked most. And uh, you know, I always I always thought that I was really this is the primary reason why I went to went to law school was because people always told me growing up that I was a pretty good writer. And I had some I had some stories in the back of my mind uh, that I thought you know really needed to to have some attention because no one had ever had ever focused on them and written complete accounts of them before. I mean, that's what I did with my, my first book, The Senator's Son. But um, I, I reached a point where, you know, I, I just, uh, I made a commitment to myself and I said, uh, you know, I'm gonna take whatever amount of time I need to away from my law practice and I'm gonna, I'm gonna put in the weekends and I'm gonna put in the holidays and do the research to write this first book. And that's what I did with The, the Senator's Son, which we published in 2018. And it went well enough that, um, I, you know, I got to a point where I was willing to make the commitment to start writing full time. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing now. 
Wow, oh, wow. Cool. Good for you. Mm. I don't know what it is, but all you lawyers and your writing is like, you know, <laughs> in fact, uh, we have a uh, employment law expert on our show, attorney uh, Ward Heinrichs, and he's writing a fantasy novel. I'm like, what's mm. going on? But he said, listen, if you can't write, you can't be a good lawyer. And the devil is in mm. the details and you have to be able to write the best letters. And so there's something in that with, I don't know how many attorneys we've interviewed who have written books and they're some of the best books you can read. And I think what you're doing is so great because you're telling stories that may have been brushed over. Mm-hmm. Ship of Blood, um, well, it did get turned into a movie. Apparently, you didn't like that movie so well. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was one one film version of it that was uh, produced back in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to sound like my opinion is the end all and be all. But uh, to be candid with you, that movie back in the 1950s did not do well at all. Mm. I mean, it did not appeal to the audiences and the uh, critics didn't like it either. And I think maybe one reason for that is because the, the filmmakers, they just, uh, they just, they butchered the story. completely. Mm-hmm. What, they, what they put together was just not, not faithful at all to the events that actually happened. And I think the end result was that it was just uh, the the film they put together was a little too too silly and overwrought, and people it didn't appeal to the audiences. So, and this this is something really that you know when it happened, it was a really big deal, right? And it, it was. wasn't it wasn't just a night and day uh, case, but let's. And so when it's when something gets a little crazy in Hollywood, that can really personally hurt people, you know. So I think that's also well, a good reason. It, this is such a great story. I mean. <laughs> It's it's amazing. I don't think it needs to be messed with, you know. I don't think Hollywood needed to jazz it up at all. I agree. Yeah, mm. so, but that you know that was quite a while ago when it was in Hollywood. Maybe today, do they would do a much better job of it? Mm. I think I think it could be done. Yes. Yeah. Mm. It needs well, Steven well, Spielberg. <laughs> yeah, or Oliver North. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, I don't know. We might have to have Quentin Tarantino on this one. I don't oh. know. Uh, oh, you know, ooh, that'd be a little crazy. But but yeah. uh, let's get to the story, so people, because they're all probably going, "What are you talking about? What are you talking about?" So tell us, kind of set up the scene. I mean, this was what in the eighteen hundreds, and and you know, so the North Carolina coast is, as I recall, um, you know, we've driven up and down um, South Carolina, North Carolina, and you know, you've got lighthouses. It seems that there was a lot of a lot of stuff went on, and in pirates, right? You have pirates and um, shipwrecks, and so um, this was like a, a transport carrier, right? A, a carrier thing for uh, lumber and all kinds of goods. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the case happened in uh, 1905, so just mm-hmm. over 100 years ago. And if you're familiar with the North Carolina coast now, I mean, it's it's mostly beaches and hotels and vacation homes and that type mm-hmm. of thing. More than 100 years ago, very little of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, uh, what we were dealing with in this case was, uh, like you said, it was a commercial sailing vessel that was uh, shipping a, a load of uh, lumber. It uh, departed from, um, from Mobile, Alabama, and it was traveling to Philadelphia. The ship was called the Harry Burwind. And there were, there were eight people on board this ship. Four of them were officers and four of them were what I call lower decks sailors, total eight men on board the ship. And this became a North Carolina case really just by chance because of location, because um, as it turned out, there was a multiple murder and a mutiny that took place on board the vessel. And it happened just off the coast of North Carolina as it was traveling, as the ship was traveling, traveling north. And, uh, 
the vessel was intercepted by another another ship that came along and um, found them off the coast of North Carolina. They noticed that the, the vessel was sailing erratically and it seemed to be out of control. And so the people on board this other vessel boarded the Harry A. Berwyn. And what they found was that there were only three people out of those eight remaining alive on board the ship. Uh, the four officers had all been shot to death and their bodies had been tossed overboard. Um, one of the four lower deck sailors was uh, lying dead on the, on the deck of the ship. And there were only three guys remaining. And one of them had been tied up. He had his, uh, the other two guys had assaulted him and uh, tied him down and tied him hand and foot. And the other two guys were still walking around on the vessel. But there were three people who survived and they started telling different stories about what happened and, and who did what. And so that, that, that was the source of all the, the drama and also the, the murder trials that came later. Hmm. And so this wow. was also a case of white versus black because the survivors were black, right? They were African-American. Correct. The, uh, the four officers who were killed were all white and the four lower decks sailors were all of African descent. Mm, wow. So, so what, what they ended up with was a murder trial, which was held in, uh, in federal court in, in Wilmington, North Carolina, which was the closest major city to where this all happened. So these three black guys were put on trial for murdering the four white officers. And this, is, this was in, as I said, it was in Wilmington, North Carolina in the early 1900s in the very, the very darkest days of the Jim Crow period. Yeah. Yes. Wow. So that when didn't that go happens, over well. <laughs> yeah. And, and what, what I find interesting is that they all have different stories. And yeah, is that something that you found even, you know, as an, a practicing attorney in criminal defense and criminal law that that happens? Is it a natural thing? Or is this something that um, just out of fear? You know, how does that happen where everybody just suddenly has different stories? Well, it's it's completely typical. I mean, when you've got a okay. when you've got a crime scene like that, and mm. you've got three or four or more people implicated in what happened, then of course their stories are going to vary because they're going to blame each other. Mm. And then, of course, the challenge is to sort through all the stories and uh, compare them with the the fact, the factual details, and the forensic details that you can gather from the crime scene and try to figure out, as they say, who done it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not unusual at all in a case like this. But yeah. um, as it turned out, um, membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. In, in this trial that proceeded in, in Wilmington, there were two different stories. Uh, the two guys... Two, two of the fellows told one story, and they were remarkably consistent in the stories that they told. Whereas the third guy, the one who had been um, tied down and um, incapacitated on the, on the ship, he was telling a completely different story. So the stories were basically two versus one. Mm. And, uh, but all three of them were put on trial for the same crime, the murders. And so they ended up testifying against each other, and it was they were telling telling stories that were 180 degrees different from each other. So, wow. 
But at the same time, uh, given the setting in Wilmington, North Carolina, again, due to the the racial issue involved, hmm. you had a situation where all of the jurors uh, in both of the trials were white. And so they oh, were, wow. there was a natural inclination to tend to believe that these black guys probably, they were probably were all in together and they must have all been guilty to some extent. That was the natural hmm. tendency. But what really surprised me was that, uh, you know, even though even though the people involved in the trial, despite the, their natural inclinations and their, their prejudices, they actually listened to the testimony. And uh, the newspapers in Wilmington actually did the same thing. And they, they did so with somewhat, somewhat of an open mind, which surprised me. And they started to really listen to what these guys were saying. And they concluded that, you know, two of these guys probably were telling the truth and they were not involved. Whereas the one who was telling the other story probably was culpable mm-hmm. for the murders. So. Wow. 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 So, you know, when you think about the justice system, because we, you know, tend to get up in arms on, on different things. And we just had a, actually a conversation with a, a judge, a retired judge in North Carolina. And he's, he was explaining, he said, you know, even all the way up to the Supreme Court, he goes, you know, people take an oath that are in the judicial system, um, you know, as lawyers, as judges, there is, and, you know, at the end, at the end of the day, it will come out in the wash, even if a trial gets bounced around, sometimes it gets bounced around for a reason or to a different place. We were actually talking about Texas more, which what was going on with Texas and um, women's rights in Texas. And, you know, he was just saying that it, it, there is there is honesty in the judicial system. Obviously, there's always going to be, you know, a bad apple somewhere, right, in, in anything. But it seems like um, that at the end of the day, it can prevail, right? Do you feel that way? Well, it, justice can prevail, but you have to work at it. Mm-hmm. And you have to, you have, especially if you're a defendant, In a murder case, you really have to have advocates who know the law well and who are in there, you know, going to the mat and, you know, fighting for your rights, which, of course, any any ethical attorney is supposed to do. And another thing that surprised me a lot about this case in Wilmington was that um, the attorneys who were appointed to represent these guys, these these black guys on trial, um, these these defense attorneys were white, as you might imagine, because they were part of the, uh, the economic, you know, mm-hmm. power, power class in the, in the city at the time. And in fact, some of them had actually taken part in what we call the, what was known as the Wilmington insurrection of 1898, which I, which I go into in the, in the book. It was a really, really horrific event where, um, there was a white supremacist mob that essentially took, took control of the city government in 1898. And it was a violent, coup d'etat is really the mm. best thing you can call it. But uh, that happened in 1898 and about, about 60 people were killed. In fact, wow. they were shot dead in the streets. And that happened just a few years before this trial occurred. Wow. Mm. That's amazing. When you think yeah. about it, huh? Yeah. But these, but these white defense attorneys, they actually did their job and they represented these African-American clients whom they've been appointed to represent. And as I said, it did turn out later that one of them really was guilty and not to give too much away, but he, Right. They were all, they were all sentenced to death at first, and one of them, in all likelihood, really deserved it, and he should have been hanged because he killed five people, and he he did his death sentence was carried out. But the other two guys, um, the newspapers, and a lot of other people 
in Wilmington, even white people whom you would never expect to show any sympathy to them. But they did, and they eventually took the case to the Supreme Court, mm. and they took the case to the White House for presidential clemency proceedings, and they took it to Theodore Roosevelt, who was president at the time, and eventually those guys got out of prison, if you can believe it. Wow. Wow. About six that's, or seven years later. That's wow. quite amazing for that time in history for that to happen. That really mm -hmm. is. Yeah, when they're lucky. It, I, when, I, when I came across the story, hmm. really it was just by accident. I, uh, I found out about it from a historical review article that was written hmm. back in 2014 that just summarized the, the details of the case. And like I said, I just came across that by chance. And when I did, I couldn't believe that I had never heard of this case before. Wow. Yeah, because I mean, I have been having been having grown up in North Carolina, spent my whole life here, practiced law here, and yet I've never heard of the case. And I like I said, I was just struck by the by simply the simply the details of how how the legal case went. Mm. It, it really is it's it's really astounding that it could have turned out that way. Do you think the movie that was made, um, you know, you usually when there's a movie made, especially with this kind of story, people pretty much know the story. But if the movie's really bad and it's not accurate, and maybe I don't know how much harm the movie actually might have done, you know, to keep this maybe something people just wanted to forget. Well, that's a possibility. Um, mm. You know, maybe um, that's that's really that's um, that might have might have discouraged um, another filmmaker who mm -hmm. might come come, come along later to to look more deeply into the case. Mm -hmm. um, but one thing I can say is that you know up until that point when the movie was made in the 1950s, no one had no one had gone back and written a a faithful, authenticated full account of the historical events. And there, okay, have of, there have been a couple of uh, magazine articles written in uh, detective magazines back in the 1930s that were based on it somewhat. Oh, wow. But they didn't, again, they were not, they were not really faithful to the, to what really happened in the case. And I think that's primarily what the movie was based on. Ah. Uh, so, yeah. Maybe too many details for people. You know, I think those are, if it's not an open or not chapter, enough, not an easy case that, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, there's so much to it that, you know, people kind of shy away maybe yeah. on that too. I mean, if, so you're pretty much the first person to write the full account. Yes. Yeah. Of, wow. From start to finish. Yeah. So did you do a lot of research going to museums, going, going to the coast, you know, is there any part of the ship even left anywhere? Well, I mean, the, the ship, as you might imagine, no longer exists. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, it. uh, the ship it uh, it actually sank or it uh, it ran aground off the coast of Cuba about mm. a year after this happened, so it no longer exists, obviously. And mm. uh, as, as of course all all the people who were involved are long long deceased by now. Uh, I was fortunate though in that, uh, and this is primarily because it was a federal court case. The documents were all still there; they are in the mm. they're in the national archives in a couple of different different facilities. And I was oh, able to that's cool able to find yeah. those. And that was um, that was really neat because mm. they they preserved uh, not only the trial transcripts but all the exhibits from the trials. For example, the the log book from the ship itself. So I can oh, actually, wow. I admit through that I saw the captain's handwriting of how he was oh, wow. everything, everything that happened on board the ship up until the time of the murders. 
which was interesting. Yeah. And wow. all, the, all the court documents, letters, all, all of that's still there. In wow. The, in the actual handwriting of the, the defendants. Because you have yeah. images uh, through the book. You've got clippings. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's really amazing. It makes it so real, you know, that it's, it's this history that's there, but like pretty much buried. Is there any contact with any of the family for the gentlemen that were released? Well, that's um, I had I had some trouble with that, frankly, because um, it's hard to hard to document exactly what what where they went after this was mm. over. Uh, again, not to give too much of much of it away, but the two guys who were released from prison, it's hard to it's hard to tell where they went after that. Mm. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to track down their. I would have bailed over the border somewhere. I would have been like, "Enough <laughs> of this," you know. So, I can't say that say that I know uh, really what happened. What happened mm. with them after after they were released from prison? Um, mm. One of the the captain of the ship, uh, his uh, his descendants are still around, and they oh. have uh, they have remained visible, and they've uh, they've maintained their their ancestors' legacy, and they've they've um, made some comments to. To the newspapers from time to time when there when there have been retrospective stories published about the case so i i, I had their um membership fees apply after free trial cancel anytime can i be real for a second that goal you have to exercise and eat better you really can do it but nobody is going to do it for you and nobody has to because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. Their views on it as well. Oh, okay. mm. But um, one thing I noticed, and I was a little disappointed by this, but um, in Wilmington specifically, I found almost almost no one who had any recollection of the case at all. Wow. Are you kidding me? That, that wow. Is, it's, That's know, it's weird. Doing, and it surprised me a little bit. And it, it's, it's probably because um, even though the trial was held in Wilmington, really, it's just by chance that it was in Wilmington. And the vic- neither the defendants hmm. nor the victims had families who lived there. Everybody was oh, from, from okay. away. So there are not any family members still around. But uh, but even apart from that, I was really really surprised that that a, a case with such a such an astounding and remarkable outcome has been forgotten. Hmm. And yeah, I speculate. So not even bit. the local news, like historic even markers, have, or no historic markers, no nothing in the museums. Nothing, not a thing. Wow, and that's even amazing. In, yeah, even wow. in the, even in Wilmington history books that have been written since over the past twenty years or so, and. That 20-year wow. mark is, is significant because it's really really just within the past 20 or 25 years that historians have started to focus on the Wilmington insurrection and the events of 1898. And um, that mm. history has gotten, has gotten a lot of overdue attention in, mm. the past, in the past 20 years. But despite all that, nothing about this case. And that's that really, really surprised me a lot. Yeah, that's kind of... You know, that's just odd. It's like, especially when they maybe did the nobody right wanted to, you know, maybe they just wanted to keep it quiet. Well, that may be. Um, and I'm sure that was the case mm. for a long time. I mean, through the whole, the whole segregation era, which right. up through the 1960s and some would say, some would say mm. even beyond. But it's really surprising to me that uh, just mm. since uh, within the past 20 years, when everybody has been talking about, the Wilmington insurrection and the injustice that was involved mm. in that. And they've been putting up 
putting up monuments all over the place and having commemorations and uh, books have been written and authors have given talks about it and so forth and so forth, just almost nonstop for the past 20 years. And yet nobody seems to remember this case, which had such a remarkable, remarkable outcome and which was such an extent, such a such a surprising example of justice prevailing despite all the racial tensions at the time. Hmm. And yet this is the first book about it. Yeah, wow. this is it's incredible because hmm. I think you know just it's a good example of what the the justice system is about. It's a it's a mm-hmm. positive thing, and and also including the newspapers in that. I think that's also very mm-hmm. important. Um, where it's it goes on the facts, ma'am. Nothing but the facts, ma'am. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think that's also something huge. And you look at even now. I mean, uh, you look at the case that just happened in Brunswick, Georgia, just over the border. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was some positive. You know, things oh, are yeah. turning. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's important to keep the positive out there to show that this could be the way, you know? And that is, that is why I wrote this book because mm-hmm. I wanted this to be a positive story that people could draw upon. And I wanted people to look at this case as an example of how justice could prevail, you know, even in the very worst of times. Mm. And I mean, these, these were the worst of times. There's no, no mm. dispute about that, but you know, it was, um, it just, it was just very surprising that, um, so many people in Wilmington were were willing to look at the facts and they were willing to give these guys a chance and actually go to the mat for them and seek justice on their behalf. Mm. So. Do you think there was a lot of difference between, let's you've got four black guys and you've got four white guys all on this boat that isn't that large, the ship, mm-hmm. really. Um, it's kind of surprising that it's four and four. Do you think that they got along or did they really just from day one, things started to ferment, you know, because it just seems odd. It's like all the whites on top and all the blacks in the hole or that kind of thing. Well, that that arrangement was not unusual on Hmm. commercial vessels of that day. I mean, Hmm. the the shipping companies, as you might imagine, were owned by. Uh, primarily uh, commercial outfits that were based in the North, say Philadelphia, New York, and that type Mm. of thing. And so the officers tended to be white and they hired crews who were in many cases, African-American from the Mm. South or from the Caribbean. In fact, Mm. fact, three of the, uh, three of the sailors in this case were from, were from the West Indies Mm -hmm. and they were of African descent, but by way of, by way of the Caribbean islands. But um, as to whether there was, whether there was already tension aboard the ship. I mean, I know there was mm-hmm. because it was documented in the ship's log. Mm-hmm. And the captain was making notes about how some of the black guys were making a fuss about how the, the conditions on board the ship were not good and they were being treated badly because, uh, because of their race and so forth, which is, which is entirely believable mm-hmm. because I can certainly imagine that there was racial tension. And I mean, the working conditions on board the ships were, were really nasty. I mean, even, even under the best circumstances because they were, they were hauling coal and they were hauling lumber yeah, before lumber. before mechanization and they were sailing down to down to Cuba and to Alabama and at the, the heat of summer doing all that strenuous work. I mean, tensions are gonna yeah. be gonna be high. Mm-hmm. So so it's not surprising at all that there was tension. Uh, but it usually didn't lead to to murder. Right. Which is what happened in this case. And I just my I don't want to give too much away, but I mm. I'll I'll leave it leave it at this. I mean, it's pr- pretty clear that the one the one sailor who I believe really did commit the murders 
he was in all likelihood just a just a a narcissistic psychopathic personality and he mm-hmm. brought guns on board the ship and he was probably out to out to hurt people from the beginning oh wow wow that you know just being stuck on a, a smaller ship under those circumstances day in and day out and it's not like you can call a cab and go. No, listen, there's, there's, and and there's sharks overboard. Can I just yeah, say the there's sharks. the fear of sharks. I mean, to me, I, you know, anytime I hear about stuff going on on a boat, I'm like, dude, you know what, what's on the other side. And it could either be really freezing yeah. cold or you're going to get your ankle bitten off or more. You know what I mean? You know, just uh, killing somebody and toss them overboard. I mean, it's not like people are going to be able to find evidence. Yeah. You know, like once that you're overboard, you're overboard. I wonder how many you know? murders happened on I know. on ships, like, like where that. it just was like, you know what, I've had enough of you overboard, and that's that. And you know, you just kind of keep sailing on. And I wonder if you know because of the resources mm. way back when, if they were able to trace what would happen to someone. You know, I think it could have been easy to just take one person, throw him overboard, and move forward and say, oh no, he fell. Or- I I wouldn't doubt that it happened more more often than we realize. Yeah, like, like you say, it wouldn't it wouldn't be a difficult thing. Yeah, wow. I yeah. often think about the slave ships, of oh, how gosh. brutal that had to have been yeah. on such, you know, epic journeys. Mm-hmm. Not epic like it's exciting, and and I'm th- I mean those are it's monster long, long journey. journeys, mm-hmm. coming from Africa and and you know all and in the Caribbean even, but just. To be underground like that, to be at the mm-hmm. bottom, the claustrophobia mm-hmm. alone could totally, I mean, it's just the, and you and think about it, it just, the timing wasn't that far away, right? You know, when you well, think about see, it. Well, it was roughly, uh, roughly 40 years after the Civil War ended. Yeah, yeah it's and not it that was, long. Yeah, and it was just after, uh, just after the Reconstruction period was, was concluding. So mm-hmm. the war, slavery were still very much within within living memory by, by that time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Going through all the documentation, did you kind of feel like a private investigator, like reading yeah. people's handwriting? And mm-hmm. I mean, did you when you talked about the handwriting, does that something that you read? Because like, people do don't don't like, you know, therapists read handwriting and, and people mm-hmm. like investigators to see personalities. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean that's not really my skill set, but mm. it's it's fascinating just to go through and see the different types of handwriting and the way that people expressed themselves back then. It's mm. very, it's different, and mm. it's, uh, it takes a it takes a bit of a uh, bit of interpretation to yeah, what, people, say. what people meant. Yeah, it's like trying to read Shakespeare for the first time. It's would, like, what do you what do you mean? <laughs> would you like to see the movie remade and done properly? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think that should be done. You know, yeah. I would love to, I would love to have a I would love to have a film made based on my book. I think that would be a wonderful thing. Yeah, well, that, that, that's, that's it. That's I, it. I, I would say that, wouldn't I? Yeah, I mean, of course. No, you but, should. <laughs> well, I'm but, just uh, interested because you know, like, there's um, in the film there were women, of course. Yeah. You know, and I'm trying to figure out how where I guess maybe they're crying on the shore as the ship leaves, and then they're yay when the ship comes back. I don't know. Yeah. And then the aftermath of finding bodies. Yeah. Because they weren't on the ship, I wouldn't imagine. That's true. There were no, yeah. there there were no women yeah. on board the ship. Although yeah. in the movie they had they had to add one. But oh. the, <laughs> but, she despite, a cook? 
despite that, I mean, the, the narrative is fascinating enough that I could, I, I think it's possible to make a very, very interesting film based on the, the actual documentary. I think yeah. so too. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah. even a documentary film, you know, those, I, yeah. that, you know, the history channel or BBC mm-hmm. does and PBS do some really, you know, amazing, amazing pieces. So it'd be great. I think, mm-hmm. and you know, kudos to you to, to, you know, digging yeah. up these stories um, and, and, following through on, like you said, you made this commitment to do it and to write. Give us a little background on the Senator's Son for those yeah. who have not read it. Tell us a little bit about that, because we okay. haven't read it yet either. Yeah. Right. Well, that is, uh, that's another true crime story that uh, occurred hmm. in uh, eastern North Carolina. Just by chance, it happened in the very same year, 1905. Oh, wow. And it's about a, uh, huh. it's about a, a, very, a very mysterious disappearance of a young child. A uh, young boy who was eight years old at the time. His name was Kenneth Beasley. And, uh, and the way this happened was that he, uh, he wandered away from this little um, two-room schoolhouse that he attended in rural North Carolina. Uh, it was at a recess at school one day, and he wandered back into the, the woods behind, his, uh, behind the schoolhouse. It was a, um, if, you, if you knew the area... You could uh, you could picture this really well, but it's a very swampy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Area. By the so Alligator the, National Wildlife Refuge area. <laughs> not too far from there, actually. Oh, okay. uh oh. Yeah. 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 But uh, but anyway, the boy went missing in the woods, and oh. as you might as you might imagine, uh, all of the neighbors gathered together and they started searching through the woods through the through the even during mm-hmm. the night. You know, picking through the swamps, um, wow, and trying to trying to locate him, but uh, but they couldn't find him. He just he, it seemed like he just uh, disappeared off the face of the earth. Wow. But the really interesting thing is that this young boy, and again Kenneth was his name, but his father was the state senator who represented that area in the North Carolina state legislature at the time. Hmm. And once he went missing, there were rumors that he had been he had been kidnapped by a man hmm. who had a uh, political grudge against the boy's father. Wow, because it turned out that the uh, the senator was uh, was very involved in the the anti liquor movement, prohibition movement at the time. Oh, and this fellow who had the grudge against him was a well known local bootlegger. Oh, um, even though wow, this other this other fellow had political connections of his own because his brother in law was a former governor of North Carolina. So it was this big mystery. And it, it went on for another for about a year and a half with the rumors flying all over the place, but no, no resolution being taken until um, a year and a half later in early, uh, or I should say late 1906, charges were finally filed against this man. His name is Joshua Harrison. He was brought to trial for kidnapping the boy. So um, again, many rumors, and it turned into a big, uh, a big political drama in that part of North Carolina. And it, it harkens back to the same issues that I cover in Ship of Blood, because the, the prohibition movement at the time was very tightly wound up with the, the white supremacy movement at the same time, because the, the issues kind of, kind of interplayed with each other. Um, I can tell you, it's still, it's still a mystery as of now, because they never found the child, even wow. though there was a verdict in the case. Wow. Uh, in, going through the, in going through all the facts that I could find, I think I figured out what happened. Ooh. Alligator. 
was the first thing that went through my head. Okay, don't blame the animals. Wow. Uh, But that's crazy because North Carolina really was like the home of bootlegging and Mm -hmm. then North Carolina, Georgia, Mm -hmm. Alabama. And Mm -hmm. I mean, even think now, I mean, Daytona races came from bootleggers. Mm -hmm. I mean, that NASCAR, I should say, Mm -hmm. not Daytona. pretty exciting stories i think you yeah. better go knock on hollywood's door yeah <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah so this is so are you are you working on another one is this like a, are you getting into like is this like north carolina true crime historic true crime yeah i've got a couple of ideas that i'm that i'm bouncing around uh i'd like to i'd like to expand a bit i'd like mm. to do some do something that's not as locally based mm-hmm. something that might have a bit more but more uh, more of a nationwide appeal. So I think there will be a third book, but I haven't decided on which exactly what direction I'm going in with it. Hmm. Okay, so in Louisiana, in a town called, well, outside DeRitter, DeRitter uh, Parish, it's DeRitter, there is a Gothic jail. It is the only Gothic yeah, jail creepy. in the country, and it's one of the creepiest places I've ever it's been so to. Creepy. It's haunted, presumably, and back then in those jails, the jail family, the, the jail warden and his family would actually live in the jails, which I think mm-hmm. is a whole other, because you go in at the basement and it's yes. gothic. I mean, it looks like this Victorian kind of mansion. It's and then you go in and it's like, staircase. it's it's just like a, um, yeah, it's, it's like creepy. going inside a lighthouse, the way the spiral staircases and all the, and the cells are on the outside. They had one for the women, but the women misbehaved and would take their clothes off and and show themselves out the windows so then they put a cage within a cage to cage the women up i mean it was some yeah. it was crazy but there were two guys and it, it made headlines for these two teenagers mm-hmm. robbed a cab driver and in doing so when the cab driver fought back they killed him pushed him and the cab into a swamp mm. and then they, they ran off with the money. They got caught and um, hanged in this prison. Mm-hmm. And this was a big deal. Now the town comes up. And whenever I talk about lynchings and, and hangings, yeah. people did come out with their picnic baskets and, and their watch kids. these things. Yeah. It's not, with their kids. This, it was like a kids. party. It, this was the town <laughs> event. So mm-hmm. they came out and apparently mm-hmm. they... When they hanged them, they marched. The, you could see it in the noose, and that they have a makeshift noose now of exactly where it was, which is freaky. And I swear that somebody's head hand was on my head when I was walking up the <laughs> stairs. I, I just saying, but they actually took them out on stretchers, the dead bodies, through the crowds. Yeah, mm-hmm. out of the door. Crazy. But this story to this day is still blowing my mind about like. Yeah just two young guys and a cab driver all over like 20 bucks or something. And it just, this whole court case. And as you enter the ground floor of, of the jail to the right, you see the spiral staircase and you look straight up and the noose is just hanging there. So that is where they hung them. So it's just like you walk in the front door and there'd be a body. Yeah, you you gotta go to Louisiana. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a, that's a pretty good story. Louisiana's because they had the uh, no man's land where there was no law and order after right. the Louisiana Purchase for three years. This one strip, the neutral strip, nothing at, like all the pirates gathered up there, and mm-hmm. it's just cool. <laughs> so I don't know. Go to Louisiana. This swampy stuff is always good. It's it's like the the mm. going on the coast. I mean, there's this intrigue of you know people being in those ships and those boats is just it's it's mind-blowing what human beings have done in the past and now here Mm -hmm. we are you know controlling ships by wi-fi 
<laughs> you know? nothing, surpri- I, nothing, nothing about that surprises me. It's entirely, entirely believable that they would have handled the case that way. Back yeah. But that's it, crazy. I think they were white kids. They were white kids. Mm-hmm. And it's sure. like, that's it. And, and, you know, but um, man, but you have to, you've got to have seen mm. a bit of everything in your law career. Is it better typing it out instead of, of being on the, on the courtroom floor? Yes, I, pre- I prefer writing books as opposed to actually practicing. I mean, I'm, I'm glad I did practice law for, mm. let's see, it was about uh, about 15 years I did mm-hmm. that because it, uh, it gave me the skill set and it gave me mm-hmm. the experience to, to know what I'm writing about. Right. But having done that, I'm uh, having having filled my head with the experience, I'm, I enjoy writing books more. Awesome. Well, you're good mm-hmm. at it. That's sure. cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. I can't wait for everyone to hear this and to finish the book, too. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I just I, I love it when um, true stories get to have their their due um, without it being too glossed. You know, be, but you, when it reads like a novel where you can get into it, that that's mm-hmm. that's a true talent. So yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. I want to give everyone uh, again. It's Charles Oldham. And uh, you can go to beachglassbooks.com, which is, you know, you always want to go to the publisher's website or the author's website. And um, that's the place to go to purchase the book. Obviously, all the other places as well. But uh, we always want to uh, promote the publishers um, directly. It's, you know, let's, let's keep small businesses going. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so beachglassbooks.com forward slash books forward slash ship of blood. Uh, if you just go type in Charles Oldham on the website, you'll find him there too. And of course, keep up with us at bigblendradio.com. And thank you so much for joining us. It's been a true, yeah. good discussion. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate mm-hmm. it. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great.